Overcoming the unexpected challenges of scaling is the purpose of this podcast. And the reason I have guests on who have gotten in business together that is at least at the half million dollar a year revenue point and higher is to have another voice other than mine. I don't want to be the only guy up on the soapbox pointing and screaming, look, look, over here, it's a scaling problem you're going to run into, right? You get stories from other sources, other people who have experienced these things, and they say the same things that I do because they have the same experience that I do. They've gone through and created something and run into these problems of systems and processes and people and whatnot that block you from being able to proceed and have to be overcome. And my purpose here is to let you know about these things before you run into them so that you can plan, you know, accordingly and work on a way to get around them or go through them with a hell of a lot less stress than everybody else had to. And then maybe you can come to my company for help because we can make it a lot easier. Now, the reason I wanted to record this podcast today, and I... I kind of fought with myself about it because it's it's a bit personal, it's, you know, point of view piece. It's not really about scaling even, but it is going to help you. My intention is that it's going to help you by assisting you to have realizations about things. If you can see something differently, you can act differently. What will happen is you will have a perception of something and it will be on autopilot. You won't even know that that's the way you're interpreting this information or this data or this picture or whatever, right? And if you can get yourself into the headspace of, oh, wait, I don't want to be on autopilot about this thing. I want to take that idea down from the shelf and roll it around and turn it over in my hands and take a look at it and even ask the question, do I want this thing on the shelf? Or do I want to throw it away? Does it even belong in here? And I'll tell you, there are a lot of these things going on in your life. There are a lot of these ideas and pictures and whatnot that are just sitting there that you have unconsciously adopted and are walking around and they're filtering your options. They are stopping you, blocking you from proceeding in certain directions because you're like, oh, that's already taken care of or, well, I can't go any further there because that's the way I see it. And uh, my purpose in this episode is to give you a couple of examples to open up your mind so that you can look at things in a new way. And by doing so, you'll be able to open up new options of progression for yourself where you can take action in a new direction that you thought you were blocked off in beforehand. So let me begin with this. And, and like, what I want to illuminate here is that we're all... We're all guilty of this, and I say this to my clients. I don't think I've said it on the podcast before. Everything that I accuse people of, I am just as guilty of myself. I have done it all. I'm as human as the next guy, okay? If I have any advantage, it's because sometimes I remember to be aware. <laughs> sometimes I remember my self-awareness, and I can pick that idea down and look at it. So let's begin with a problem that a professor at a university discovered. He, in the 70s and 80s, would bring out the Communist Manifesto for new students and get them to go through it with him and get them to argue against the Communist Manifesto, disprove it. 
And by the time we got to the 90s and the 2000s, he discovered he couldn't do this anymore because the students would be convinced by the Communist Manifesto, i.e. they would become socialists. And he was like, how the hell is this happening? What, what is going on here that is making these kids do that? They, they don't seem to have any critical thinking ability anymore or the ability to argue. And I don't mean fighting arguing, I mean like intellectual argument, right? P putting forth a point and supporting it with evidence. People don't know how to do that anymore. This is what he found. What was happening was that the students were not thinking critically about information that they were receiving. What they were doing was having a mental image about it and then having an emotional reaction to that mental image. In other words, they were being fooled by propaganda, manipulated into an outcome, a decision, a, a choice, because of their emotional reaction to this mental picture that they had. And if you don't think that this is going on for you or me, again, I'm not exempt from this stuff. I just try to be aware of it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I completely fail, and I need an outside coach to bring it to my attention. But at least I ask the coach, right? Participate in that process. So. Let me give you an example. That I'm going to give you a couple of examples, actually, that uh, is going to show you how this works. Because I can talk around it all day long, but direct experience is the best way to teach. So I want you to picture the Industrial Revolution. Okay, so you got a nice picture of the Industrial Revolution in your head, right? What's it like? I will bet you that it's black and white factory belching smoke into the air. In fact, the smoke is so dark, it's like blocking out the sun, isn't it? How, how did this picture get there? Where did this picture come from? And why have you never looked at it and gone, wait a minute, I wasn't there for the Industrial Revolution that happened like 200 years ago. I don't actually know what the Industrial Revolution was like. I really don't know. Right? And the fact is, you don't know and I don't know. Nobody who's alive today knows what the Industrial Revolution was actually like. And we're going to get into this in a second. A little more supporting evidence for that statement that I just made. Okay? There are, I guess, some like daguerreotype photo sort of things, right? Of, of uh, factory smokestacks with some... You see them and there's etchings, right? Uh, you see this if you Google the Industrial Revolution, you'll, you'll see this come up, right? And it's mostly just drawings. I guess there are some photos or whatever. I want to think about that in a minute. But as far as the drawings go, we were fed this stuff. We were fed this stuff through our school system. And I, and I want you to think about now uh, cannibalism. I, I want you to think about cannibalism and what mental picture pops into your head. And, and Maybe for younger people, I don't know what this is going to be like, but for guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and whatnot, we all saw in cartoons growing up, these stupid cartoons, right, of animated cannibals, and it was always like a joke, like, ha-ha, this is so funny. They were on a beach, there was a fire, and there was this giant clay cauldron on top of the fire where the, the victim would be boiled in or something like that, right? And that's cannibalism, right? Is that what cannibalism really was like? Do you think these people actually had giant clay pots out there on their tropical islands in the South Pacific or Africa? Give me a break. Also, cannibalism is not too far away from your family tree, people. You don't have to go too far to find cannibalism. It's all over the place. 
If it's the Soviet Union, it's only 60, 70 years ago, okay? So don't be thinking <laughs> that that's just those crazy people in the long distance past. It is not. Okay, point being, goofy cartoon image of cannibalism that was fed to people of at least my generation and older is not accurate, right? That's not the way it happened. They didn't boil people in giant pots over fires. That wouldn't even be like uh, thermally efficient, right? From a, from a science point of view. It's stupid. So, the drawings that we have of the Industrial Revolution that we've been fed, those images, how true are those? Another point of view. Have you ever watched the film The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? There's a technique used in that film about framing where not just us as the viewers, but the, the characters in the film can't see beyond the edges of the screen. And this enables them to run into a Union camp, which looks like it has tens of thousands of men in it, without realizing it's there. They just stumble upon it suddenly, right? There's no way that could happen in reality. And so what if we're looking at pictures and drawings of the Industrial Revolution as presented by somebody who has a narrative that they want to share, and they're only showing us that frame, right? Oh, the Industrial Revolution was terrible for society and uprooted cultures and, like, this is a narrative that has been fed to you. And if you're smart, you will ask the question of who is feeding me this narrative and why did they do it? And come to your own conclusions. I've got an answer. I'm not going to share it with you. But that's what's been going on. You're being fed a narrative and you've accepted it. Oh, the Industrial Revolution was like this black smoke belching factory that blotted out the sun and it was bad for everybody and look at all the little kids losing their hands in loom accidents and stuff like that really oh i'm sure awful things happen there are awful things happening today what's the damn difference it's not the technology it's not what we're using that's human nature Get real. The question is, what was the Industrial Revolution actually like? And this professor who I was talking about, about you know, giving his kids, uh, uh, students, the Communist Manifesto, and finding uh, by the time the 90s rolled around, they were getting convinced by the thing just by reading it and the mental pictures that they had, realized that he didn't know much about the Industrial Revolution. And so he started, and this is maybe only 40 years ago or something, right? He started researching it. Like, what were wages actually like? What was the economy like? And, and think about this. It's only a couple hundred years ago. It's not that long ago. And yet we've lost all this data. Or it's out there and it's not found and organized. It's not collated in any way. So anytime somebody tells you, oh, we've got everything figured out to the last few milliseconds before the Big Bang, call baloney on it. It's, they're lying. They're wrong. It's not true. We can't even, even have certainty about what happened 200 years ago, people. Let's get real here. And so we're being fed these images that we have emotional reactions to, and it's all on autopilot. People are far more robotic, you and me included, than we care to, to think. It's not nice to think about. But we have snap reactions to things. And this is an example of it. What was the Industrial Revolution actually like? You don't know. I don't know. It sure as hell wasn't this factory spewing, people hurting thing, okay? A lot of women got jobs and were doing things other than running inns or being prostitutes or whatever the hell they did before that that wasn't so great, and got independent wealth. It certainly helped with wealth of the nation. 
and other things too. I want you to think about something that happened in the 1840s. Oh, there's this like theory out there in the intelligentsia community that if Oh, if only England had remained this pastoral society with wonderful farms and forests and no ugly factories to blight it, right? Give me a break. A, England was never like that, not, not in this time period, never anywhere close like that. So there was no pastoral society for it to sit at, okay? That just didn't happen. Two, what happened if you had a pastoral society with no industrial revolution. Well, you don't have to go too far away. You just got to go across a little channel of water to a country called Ireland. And in 1845 to 49, you got a thing called the, oh, Irish potato famine, where the population of Ireland dropped so precipitously. I don't think it recovered until the 70s, the 1970s. 130 years later, no other nation in Europe had this problem, okay? But, gee, Ireland, pastoral society, no industrial revolution visited there, no factories, okay? Giant population migrations. Where do you think all the Irish in Boston and New York came from? So a lot of what you've been taught or shown, it's not even teaching, it's just nonsense. I images shoved at you and you just swallow them. So start thinking critically about things and taking ideas around and looking at them. Whenever you run into a block of, oh, I can't proceed in that direction, like an improvement project in, in uh, our, our company, if you run into that and you go, well, I can't do this or that, I want you to stop and ask yourself, whoa, 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 this is what Kanigan was talking about. I need some self-awareness here. What idea do I believe to be true that is blocking me from proceeding in this direction? And it may be true, but at least take it down off the shelf, roll it around, look at it, and decide. Do I need this, or should I throw it away and replace it with another idea that's more supportive? Was this just something I was accepting blindly? I'm going to give you another example of something you've just accepted. Okay? How many people are there on the planet? Well, there's seven and a half billion people, because the authorities say so. Oh, these same authorities who send you to your death in wars? The same authorities who don't tell you about problems that kill people? The same authorities who try and sweep financial screw-ups under the rug? Really? You trust those people? Really? I'm not saying there aren't 7.5 billion people in the world, but I'm saying don't take the number at face value just because it's shoved down your throat. You have just accepted this number, haven't you, until now? Who's to say? Let me tell you something. I went to university. I took three years of economics. I was taught up to intermediate macroeconomic theory. I made a model of the national economy. That's how far I got. I was taught for three years by a doctor of economics. His name was Dr. Pepper. <laughs> cool guy. Looks a lot like my dad. And Dr. Pepper had been in charge of the big data house for the fisheries ministry. And he told us in the second year, I'll never forget this, he told us how the fisheries department went ahead and counted the bloody fish in the ocean so that they could have estimates, which you make decisions on, right? Should we fish more of them? Should we leave them alone so they can breed? Should we try and repopulate them in some way? Do they need a better food supply? Who knows, right? 
but they're making decisions. And you know how they did it? He said it was all BS. This is the guy who's running the data house. He said, we take small samples, we extrapolate from them, and we, we have impressions. They're estimates. It's not real. It's just a guess. It may be a good guess, but it's just a guess. This is the doctor of economics who had the job talking. Not somebody with no brains and no experience making up something. This is the guy who did the job saying so. So when you tell me, oh, there's seven and a half billion people in the world, I don't believe you. I don't know what the truth is. And if you just eat that number and blindly accept it and install it in your brain, then I'll call you a fool. What else are you just blindly accepting in the world around you? Start taking things a little more seriously in your world. When you run into an idea that is blocking you, oh, I can't do anything about that, there's a reason. There's an idea that's blocking you. You're having an emotional response to it. And it's changing the actions that you feel are available to you. Change the idea, you change the emotional reaction, and you'll open up a whole new range of options. When people are beaten, they're generally beating themselves. When people lose in business, it's because they've beaten themselves. Not because of the economy, not because of the damn customers or the supply chain or whatever. It's because they worked themselves, painted themselves into a corner where they had the dominating idea of, well, there's nothing I can do. And I'd like to grab those people and shake them a little bit and try and get some sense back into them. Because it's not true. You always have options. All right, this is a bit ranty. I appreciate that. But I really am passionate about this stuff. This matters. I don't think there's anything more important than, the, than, than finding out the truth. That's the top value or principle. I'm not sure the definition between value and principle anymore. They've gotten very murky in the last few years. But the truth is the highest value that we have at Cold Star Tech. Even if that means I piss you off. That's fine. I, I don't care. I care about the truth. Not your temporary emotional reaction, which come and go like weather. Happy one minute, sad the next, ambivalent. It's just weather. Rainy, cloudy, snow, sleet, sunny, who cares? It all is going to happen. But what matters is the truth, the underlying principle, the reason, the cause. Your emotions are an effect. And they're a filter. They're an effect of ideas that you hold in your head. What's dominating? And I encourage you to start questioning things. I'm not saying look around you and see huge conspiracies. I'm saying look at the, the ideas that you have. Like, I can't do this, or I can't get that, or I can't proceed in this direction in my business. Why the hell not? Get the idea down on paper. Write it down. Look at it. The moment you look at it written down on paper, you might go, this is stupid. When I actually put it down in writing, it looks so stupid. Good. You can wipe that away and replace it with something supportive. This is going on all the time. All the time. People are having emotional responses to mental pictures. And it's directing their actions like you're a robot. If you want to scale your business, 
you got to do things differently, right, than what you were doing before. You can't, you, we've seen this on the revenue plateau diagram, right, with the valley of death between you and the next plateau. You need to change some of these ideas. If you don't change them, you won't be able to proceed. You won't be able to take action because you'll keep walling yourself off from courses of action. All right, I think I've talked about this enough. I hope this mattered to you. Hope you had some kind of reaction to it, even if you hated it. That's fine. I'm all right with that. But at least <laughs> there was a, a response rather than just ambivalence. If you want a whole new look at your business, if you want outside perspective on your business, which is one of the most valuable things you can have, I get it all the time. I pay experts to come in and look at my business because I know I have blind spots. I have the same blind spots that I've been talking about where I've just accepted things as this is the way it is. And I need somebody else to come along and poke me in the chest and say, hey, Canigan, what about this thing? Oh, well, I've just been accepting that as the way things are, but you're right. What if we did change that or got rid of it? What would that do for us? Whole new different direction. If that's what you want, come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. We have a thing called the Red Team that comes in and looks at every area of your business and points out opportunities for improvement, big opportunities for improvement. And you can, trust me, they're all centered around ideas that you thought were boulders in the way of progress. This is Jason Canigan from the Cold Star Project. Thanks for listening. <music>